Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 76 of the Commando Voice. Today, I speak with the owner of A Bit of Taste. Please welcome Debbie Franz. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And uh, before we get into the episode, just wanted to say uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. We're getting close to that time of the year. Hope everyone's getting their Christmas presents all put together um, and shipped out early, because apparently shipping is crazy right now and super delayed. Um, so anyways, um, and also if you guys have comments, if you've got questions, if you have guests, I love getting guest suggestions. Um, even if that guest suggestion is you, um, please send them to voice at commandocommons.com. So that's voice, V-O-I-S, I can spell, V-O-I-C-E at commandocommons.com. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, I've really been enjoying doing the podcast. We've got some great ones that I um, have coming up. And so anyways, just want to throw all that stuff out there as usual. Um, Okay, so today I got to speak with the owner of A Bit of Taste. Her name is Debbie Franz. She is, um, we we recently actually started carrying their specific olive oil and vinegar in our store. Now, when we got in touch with them, or they they actually, she actually got in touch with us. And I mean, we live out here on Kamena. We're pretty far out here. And so when we get people that are bringing us foodie items or things like that, I don't know. Sometimes you get the people that drop stuff off like, hey, I'm in this in my basement. You want to sell it? And I, you're just always questioning like, okay, is this really good? Is it good quality? Is it safe? Um, so she dropped off some samples for us and was like, hey, I want you guys to try this out. If you love it, I would love to sell here. And so we, uh, she dropped off the samples. And first of all, I was blown away. The packaging is very nice. Um, not only are the bottles really nice, but she has all these different like gift boxy and packages put together. Um, and so she dropped off one of those for us to try. And I was like, wow, these packages, just the packaging alone is very nice. I was like, this is great. Um, and um, then we took them home and I tried them out and they were incredible. Um, they were just so good. And I was like, yes, we are for sure wanting to bring these people in um, to the marketplace as a vendor. Um, and the other thing is, I, I mean, my wife and I, when we go visit cities or wherever, like we love finding um, little olive oil vinegar stores that you can go in and try stuff. And uh, so we've since taken over the marketplace. We've wanted to do this. But the problem is it's a lot of work. You got to, you know, if you're sourcing it, it's a lot of work. Um, or if you're trying to like build something on its own, it's a lot of work. So we never really want to take that on by ourselves. So we were like, well, if we can find someone that can do it, um, that's good quality and everything. And we have definitely found that with a bit of taste. So um, I know that was kind of a longer intro than normal, but I wanted to give you guys some background on this and why I'm so excited about it. So anyways, um, Debbie also has a very... Um, interesting background in uh, bookkeeping and business and all sorts of things. So um, you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Debbie Franz. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. 
Today, I'm here with the owner of A Bit of Taste. Welcome to the podcast, De- Debbie Franz. Hi, thanks, Brandon. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Debbie. Well, I've been a Washingtonian for the last 20 years, and I've lived in different parts of the state, but I'm also just a Pacific Coast you know, native traveling up you know, the coastline. So I've got... Uh, husband, I've been married to, well, this December, it'll be 36 years. Congratulations. Thank you. And then we have one son who's 34 and living his life married and working as an architect. So uh, other than the owning the store, part of my life is I am a teacher at Everett Community College. Okay. So I do that and I have two cats that I like a lot and they have their own Instagram feed and um, we love the outdoors. We love the Pacific Northwest. I consider myself a Pacific Northwest native, even though I started out um, farther South. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Um, what do you teach at EV or Everett Community College? Uh, mostly international students. I usually teach a writing class, like an English 98 writing class okay. and some other classes. I also teach college success to all of the students there. It's a required class for new students, but I've taught various things there over the years in a lot of different um, departments and divisions. Okay, yeah. nice. All right. So um, where did you grow up then? Well, the first part of my life, I was born in Southern California. Okay. And then shortly after that, we moved to the Portland, Oregon area. So I was there through my high school years. And then ever since attending college, I've been in Washington State. Nice. Um, okay. Where did you go to college? Uh, I've been to a few. <laughs> and it took me a few years to get through my college experience. So I always use it <laughs> as a story to encourage my students. But I got my associate's degree in accounting from Edmonds Community College. Okay. So I owned and operated my own bookkeeping consulting business for probably about 25 years or so. Wow. Yeah. And then it was always my dream to get my bachelor's degree. So in 2007, I went back and became a first-generation college student in my family to get a bachelor's degree. Oh, very cool. And that was in human services, and that was through... Uh, Everett and Western. There's a there was a program down there on mm-hmm. site for human services, and then you can't do much with a bachelor's degree in human services. So I continued on to Western and commuted back and forth for three years to Bellingham. Wow! And got my master's in a basically adult education. the The degree was called college and continuing education at the time. But okay, yeah. <laughs> very cool. So wait, so you. With just your your associates then, you started your own accounting business? Yeah. It was bookkeeping consulting for small businesses. You know, everybody needs a good bookkeeper. Yes. If you're a good bookkeeper, you're never without work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So was that, um, when you were looking at accounting and stuff, was that something you were, uh, were you looking, was that something you had been interested in for a long time or were you just kind of looking like for a job that... Well, I've always liked did? business. I mean, my dad was a small business owner mm. and had he was a machinist and a welder and had his own business. So I think I have a little bit of that entre- entrepreneurial gene in me and it just kind of came about. I mean, I think probably the first business I had was maybe when I was 14 or 15 in uh, high school, I would sell like donuts and snacks to the other kids. And, <laughs> and it was a way to get my own pocket money. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, thinking back on that, I think it's been there for a long time. So, and that just kind of, you know, came about, you know, life is often one thing leads to another. You have this master plan and it never goes according <laughs> to that master plan. <laughs> yep. So I finished my associates and the next thing I knew, people were asking me, oh, I need someone to do my books. Can you do my books? 
And I, I literally have used every version of QuickBooks since it came out because nice. it came out about the same time that I was going back to, to school at the time in the, what would that have been, 80s, 90s. And so I've used it for small business bookkeeping and one client led to another, which led to another. And before you knew it, I had five employees and was like, okay, I either need to build this bigger or change and do, you know, something else that I want to do. I love certain aspects of bookkeeping and accounting. I love the detail. I love the organization, but I don't like the um, rote, you know, repetition of yes. the basic work. I loved consulting and educating the owners yep. how to understand financial statements. Right. And yeah, so I'm a mixed bag. I'm a little bit of a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's very cool. And that, I mean, one of the things that uh, when it comes to bookkeeping and accounting and stuff like that, um, my dad actually took over the first, his, like the first big company he took over, um, was from his dad mm -hmm. and he took that over through, um, accounting and bookkeeping because their bookkeeper had, um, you know, his dad had this company and, um, had been running it for a long time and they had the same bookkeeper for a long time yeah. and she, uh, got very sick. And so she was out for months and my, my grandpa didn't know what to do. He like he mm -hmm. just had no idea. And so my dad's like, well, I'll learn bookkeeping. I'll figure it out and I'll do that for you. Well, upon backtracking, they realized she had been stealing money from the company. Mm -hmm. um, I've and, heard that so many times. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And that like all of their like bills and stuff like that, invoices that they had out, like she never called up and followed up. So there was yeah. like all this so much money sitting in Receivables. Receivables, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that they were due. Yeah, I, some of the things I've taught both at Everett and at North Seattle and at Cascadia were book, QuickBooks and bookkeeping for small business owners. And that's one of the things I review with them is you can put in place some simple practices to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And the number one cause of embezzlement or is that it's going to be someone that you trust. And it's not... It's not because you trust them it's because because you trust them you give them too much access mm -hmm. and because they have too much access they have too much temptation and then they'll find ways to do that but mm -hmm. as a business owner there are very few simple things that you can do checks and balances we call them to protect yourself from that being a possibility yeah yeah but a lot of business owners don't and i've heard that if I, I started to take clippings of all the embezzlement stories to show in my classes, and there's way too many, and they usually won't get prosecuted because the prosecutors have too many other bigger crimes on their plate, but it can sink businesses. I had right. one construction company, his bookkeeper embezzled at least 60000 I mean, when you go back and do forensic accounting, it's hard because it gets muddy. Yeah. But in all the different ways that she did it, it was probably about 60000 for a small construction firm. Yeah. And it's tragic. It's yeah. tragic. Yep. That's... Um you know, my dad did some consulting as well, and he was like, that was the first thing he always looked at. Like, if yep. a company's not profitable and they seem like they're bleeding money, he's like, always look at the books. Yep. Like, Number one thing I would tell my, my clients is when they'd want me to be on their checking account, I would say, I'm not going to be on your checking account for your protection and my protection. You need to manage your business as the owner, and you need to not give me, as your bookkeeper, that access. Mm -hmm. And then I would insist on regular meetings with them, and if they had payables that were outstanding and not enough cash flow, they'd have to decide what was going to be paid because that's not my job as their bookkeeper. Yep. I'm the tracking and data collecting and getting the work done for them, yep. but a business owner should be responsible for their own business. 
But most business owners are good at their business, but they're not good at bookkeeping and they really don't want to do it. So they're right. very willing to give up that responsibility. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's, it's super important and it's something um, uh, when our accountant actually left. So uh, I was talking before that we started recording mm-hmm. um, that my dad started with a lot more businesses. We had eight businesses at the time, including real estate and then um, operating businesses. So we had an accountant who ended up leaving and... Um, and that's, I had been on with the company for about a year, year and a half. And my dad looked at me, he's like, well, guess who's our new accountant? And I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So, I mean, thankfully we had a bookkeeper who was, um, super, I mean, she's still with us. She's done a really great yeah. job of helping and, but it was really good because it helped me get a crash course in understanding accounting, yeah. knowing P and L's balance sheets, you know, balancing everything like it gave me a very good foundational understanding of something that I had never looked at before. Yeah, people always ask me, like, well, how do they need to do to be you know, become a bookkeeper? And basically, your college-level accounting, usually called labeled 201 or 202 course, mm-hmm. good for a small business owner, gives you the basics for understanding. I tell the people, take those courses. If you like it, you'll know you're on the right track. If you don't, go do something else. And if you like it, then maybe, you know, get more education. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I think that was that was really helpful. It's been very helpful in taking over the company as well. Yeah, yeah. Every business owner needs that basic knowledge. Yeah, very cool. So then, uh, so you'd been running that for a while. Um, how did you transition then? So you had all these clients and um, yeah. So I had these clients. I was working full time while I was going to school, and like I tell my college success students, they're like, "How do you do it?" I'm like, "Well, let's see. You're working full time, and you're going to school full time. You have to give up a lot." So I gave up my weekends, I gave up my evenings, I gave up my hobbies, and for a period of time, you know, and then got my education, and then I could put those things back in my life. Yeah. So it it was um, a lot of hard work because I didn't have anybody to pay for my education at that mm-hmm. point except me. Yeah. And so, you know, I did double duty for a while, and my husband and I had the... the uh, tradition or habit that for a while we'd go out to a restaurant Saturday morning, have breakfast, and then it was heads down all day studying and focusing. Yeah. So, and then I transitioned and through the education process, they had us do internships, which then connected me up to certain like organizations to check out what I wanted to do. And one of them was at Everett Community College. And so from that led then to my first job there. And I also did teaching at Edmonds Community College in the workforce department there. Okay. So yeah, one thing leads to another, which leads to another. The thing is I heard years ago, like say yes. Mm -hmm. When you have people ask you to do things, say yes, because you never know what opportunities will come. Yeah. If you say no, you don't ever know because you don't even get that opportunity. But if you say yes kind of the world opens up to you. So if someone said, can you do something? I'm like, hmm, well, I don't know how to do it, but I know I can learn it. And so I would learn it along the way or do it. Or just like this, can you do a podcast? Sure, that'd be fun. Do a podcast. You never know what comes out of it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it it kind of reminds me of some of the other things of um, that I hear from entrepreneurs when you read books and you listen to people, like whether they're talking about overnight successes or whatever, like... Mm -hmm. You never hear about like the 10, 20 years they put in beforehand where nobody knew about them. Exactly. <laughs> like, the, the other thing you don't hear is, um, this. I like this one, the most successful people fail the most because mm-hmm. they're trying. Yeah. They're trying new things. Maybe they work. Maybe they don't work. If you're not willing to try and fail, then you really won't have as many opportunities to be successful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was something, um, you know. And this actually kind of goes back to you were talking about how your dad was self-employed and mm-hmm. ran his own business. 
Um, and I, I do think that plays a big part of it because I don't think if you've never been in a family where your parent, either of your parents run a small business, you never see certain aspects of life that you do if your dad or mom work in corporate yeah, um, and just have a day in day out job, which is fine. Like it, for the families that enjoy doing that. Yeah. That's neither, great. neither is good or bad or right yeah. or wrong. It's what you like to do, what you want to do. Right. Yeah. But as a small business owner, like, you know, Brandon, tell me if this is for your life. It's pretty much a 24-7 job. Right. Yeah, it's not like a 9-to-5. You can clock in, clock out, and let it go. It, You have to have that willingness to have it take over the corners of your life. Right. Yeah. And then you've got to set boundaries for your time off, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think I saw that. I mean, my, my dad was definitely more on the, like, just he's going to work outwork every like he's going to outwork and that's what's going to make it successful mm -hmm. um so like my mom was you know homeschooled us raised us took us to things like my dad was just working a lot yeah. um but by doing that we saw like oh this is what goes into a small business that it's work not, ethic yeah mm -hmm. it's not just oh look it's successful and people would talk to him later like man you just grew this out of nothing and like, mm -mm. he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. We pull it out of thin air. Mm -hmm. My dad, too, he did a lot of things before he was that business owner. You know, he was a truck driver, semi-truck driver. And he and my mom actually traveled across the U.S. in that era and did crop picking. Mm. And, you know, kind of he taught me things about accepting people and accepting anybody. Like, they didn't really have those biases. They didn't really see you know, color in the same way mm -hmm. that some people would because they worked with those people mm -hmm. and they had compassion, you know, for them. And so um, he he went from, you know, always hard work, but then eventually to where he had his own business. And that's then, of course, when you're a little kid, you don't know what your parents have gone through before you. Yeah. You only kind of know their life in this window of quasi-adulthood to adulthood. Right. Right? Yeah. And so that's what I saw him as and knew him more yeah. as. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the only reason I got to see more of that was because my dad had actually technically retired at age 30. Um, oh, wow. And, um, you know, he's like, we've got kids. You know, I'll just, we'll sell off the business. And uh, it was in Tucson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. He's like, we'll sell off the business. I'll retire. We'll just get the, you know, we'll go on trips with the kids. We'll just spend lots of time. And um, we did for, for a good couple few years there. We would just go on, like, we would do these really big road trips around the U.S. Oh, or yeah. wherever. Um, you know, on the drop of a hat, my dad's like, let's go, let's go Disneyland or something. And it's like, <laughs> we should go. And along the way, we're going to stop or go this route. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he would always be up for, like, just doing something. Um, but my mom is definitely, like, a homebody and likes mm -hmm. to be home and likes to have a Maybe schedule. Maybe gave them more structure. <laughs> See, they were a nice balance to each other. Yeah. So, you know... After a couple years of that, my mom was like, I think you need to start something again. And yeah. he was like, why? You're like, we can do that. Like, she's like, no, I need you to start something again. <laughs> so, I think there's a lot of families at home during this pandemic that are kind of like, I need you to do I need you to do something. So I need you to get out of the house. Like I've told my, my son, I need you and dad to go on your father's son camp out so I can have a weekend at home yeah. by myself. Right. <laughs> You know, we miss some of our space and yeah. structure. Yeah, it's it's intense to have, like, go from, like, kind of seeing each other, like, in passing, like, hey, hey, okay, on the way to this thing, and then yeah. all of a sudden, like, now stay. Evenings and weekends. Now you're in the corner of the family room with your booming voice taking up my, you know, life and space. Yeah. Taking phone mine. calls and... <laughs> 
Yes. In your, we call it Les Nessman office. You know, did you ever watch the old WKRP show? Uh-huh. Yeah, one character on there, he had his little desk and he would, you know, put like duct tape around the edge <laughs> of, like on the floor. Like, this is my walls because they won't give me a walled space. And he would make people pretend that he, they opened the door to come in, pretend knock. <laughs> yep. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what brought us to? We get far afield. <laughs> yes. Um, so then what, what kind of interested you in human services then in going that direction? Cause you already kind of had a business, you had a, a possible well, plan. Like I said, my, my goal was, I always wanted ever since I was in high school to get my bachelor's degree. So I had, and I love, um, psychology and I had gotten certified as a life coach. Okay. So when I was thinking, and I was considering <clears throat> like going into counseling field and I was actually started my bachelor's by driving back and forth to Bellingham. And I happened to see a flyer on the wall that said something about human services. And it piqued my interest. And I went to the office and said, what is this program? And they explained it like kind of like applied psychology. And oh, by the way, it's down in Everett. Like, why are you commuting? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, I got to check this out. So I went and checked it out and immediately like you know, finished the classes I was in for that quarter, but then did an about face, you know, registered for that program and got into, and it was a cohort group for two years. So, I mean, I loved it. I loved my classmates. We had like 24 of us in the group and we're still in contact. And, and I just, I always love people and like that applied psychology, sociology. So it fit, but then I also am, you know, driven by a certain desire to have a certain level of income. And often in human services, you don't make that much right. money. Right. Yeah. You do fabulous work working with people. But I'm like, okay, sorry, that's not enough of an income for me. Yeah. Well, it's like people that go into teaching and stuff. I'm like, that has to that's be That's like not a enough calling. of an income either. <laughs> it has to be some sort of calling because, like, the amount of work and energy you put in, especially this year. Yeah. But just in general, like, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I know. I could go on and on about our... Uh, education system in college. K through 12 actually makes more money than I do as a college professor, um, as an associate college professor, not if you're tenured. So there's really, it's a broken system that needs to be fixed, but we could do a whole separate podcast on that. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Um, Okay. So then once you completed your your, uh, bachelor's then, um, you decided to go get your master's then? Yep. I just continued straight on to my master's. So I did five years of um, education, you know, working well, and I was getting pretty burned out. And I contacted my advisor up at Bellingham and said, I got to wrap this up. I need to finish this. What can I do? And she came up with a plan to get me finished that spring. So that felt really good. And then I was already working. By then I was already working at the colleges. And so I just kind of transitioned, you know, right into that. Okay. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years. So, okay. yeah. And were you, during this time, when did you kind of transition or do you still do the bookkeeping or did, when did you You know, I did that? do some for a while, but I don't do it now. You know, you can only manage so many plates and I manage a lot, but there's only so much that I can even manage. And right. so a number of years back, I gave that up. I even, I sold my bookkeeping business to my top two employees. Oh, nice. And they're still doing it. And I'm one of them is actually doing my bookkeeping oh, very now. Cool. Yeah, so it goes full circle. She was my first employee, and now she's doing my company's bookkeeping. Oh, so cool! Yeah, she's out of um, Anacortes, and you know, nice thing with now with technology, you can do a lot of those things remotely, mm-hmm. so it makes it easy. And then, um, yeah, what was the, I'm far forget. What was the question? Yeah. I don't know, but I was going to jump in <laughs> real quick just because it's a question I 
I have a lot. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on QuickBooks Online versus moving from that from desktop? Yeah, that was where I kind of decided. That, that's what I was saying. So, yeah, I stopped even teaching the online the QuickBooks courses at the community college because technology changes and the mm -hmm. software changes, and I felt like I wasn't keeping up with it to teach it adequately. So I actually passed on my classes to one of the gals, the other gal that I'd sold my business to. And um, I, when the online version came out, I do not like the online version as well. Quite mm -hmm. frankly, I did not. But now I'm using it, and like anything that, you know, you go through change at first, you don't like it, and right. then now they've improved it, they've made it better, and I love, like, the downloading feature. I mean, it takes away the data entry mm -hmm. part yeah. of it that is so tedious. Yes. So I'm... I'm becoming a new fan yeah. of the online. But yep. no, for years, my favorite version of like QuickBooks, I think, was 2012 or 2014. You know, you have your... Yep. They keep making changes, but I don't think they're always improvements. Sometimes right. they make changes to make changes. But, yes. Um, but QuickBooks is a great software for a small yeah. business. But people think they can just run it themselves, that it's intuitive, and hence the name Intuit. But it really takes a little bit of specialized training or knowledge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, we recently, well, over what the last year What do you think of it? Because there's something that prompted that question. Yes. Yeah, yeah we switched probably about a year ago, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Has it been a year? I think it's been a year. Um, we switched over to fully online with all of our companies. Yeah. Um, and we had been always on desktop. And we yeah. had always been told when we went to accountants or other bookkeepers, um, like, hey, what do you think of QuickBooks Online? Do you think we should switch? And they would always say no, like hard no. Yeah. See, at the beginning, good. Others, I like that confirmation of my opinion. Yes. Too. <laughs> no. Well, and I think it had a lot of issues because it actually mm -hmm. had a lot of limitations. It couldn't it did. do certain things. Exactly. Um, and by the time we switched, I was like, so wait, I heard it can't do this. Can it do like inventory? And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, it can do that. Like, it's more robust oh. now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. And they put a lot more time and energy into it to making sure it it yeah. is working. I think that's the thing. Like I had stock in Intuit for years and they do a good job of listening to their customers mm -hmm. and changing things. Uh, and so I think it's, it's, I mean, it's the number one product for small business for a reason. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I think, um, and then we've recently been turning on like the downloads and I take pictures of my receipts and like yeah. that, all of that streamlines it so mm -hmm. that there's a lot less at the end of the month where my bookkeeper comes to me and says, where are my receipts? Yeah, exactly. And it's in the cloud now. So everybody can access it from wherever you are, right? Right. Makes that a huge difference. Makes a huge difference. Like I used to have to go on site to work with companies or I'd be working remotely and we'd have these cumbersome ways yep. of getting that information. Online version just makes that easier now. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, so that's good. Um, okay, so then where did you go? You were working at Everett. You completed your master's. Where did What happened after that? Well, I've been teaching there for about the last 10 years. As a matter of fact, I was October. It was my 10-year anniversary there. Um, but I've always missed being in business. It was actually really hard psychologically to close my P.O. box and close my business when I did that yeah. about eight years ago. And so it's always been in the back of my mind. And I love working with the students, and I love doing the advising I don't like the college politics so much, yeah. you know. And so there's aspects of it that were really suited for me and aspects that weren't. And so um, a year and a half ago, I was, I've, I've used the olive oil and vinegar products that I now sell for about eight or nine years. Okay. But I used to buy them up at a store in Fairhaven um, called Drizzle. And I was going up there to Linden on a spring break. And I was like, anytime I'd pass through, it's like, I'm stopping at Drizzle to stock up, getting my stuff. And every time I'd go there for the last number of years, I'd kind of rail and say, why isn't there a store in my area? Why isn't there a store closer to my home? 
And this little thought went through my head that said, well, maybe you're supposed to open one. And I went, what? What was that? <laughs> and I've kind of learned to pay attention to my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I looked on their website and they raved about their supplier that they get the oil and vinegar from. And I thought, hmm. And so I looked at that supplier site and they had information on there. If you wanted to open a store, what would you do? Like send them a letter of intent. And because they're independently owned and operated. Okay. But this supplier has helped set up like 900 stores worldwide and about 600 in the U.S. Okay. So they give a lot of support. Yeah. But they are not running the business and it's not franchised. Like I own it yeah. and make the decisions. But you have an agreement to only purchase their oil and vinegar. But then other than that, you, it's your store and you can do what you want with oh, it. Oh, so cool. So I put in a letter of intent and said, you know, I'd eventually like to open about four or five stores in Snohomish County. And they give rights to an area. So mm -hmm. I was asking for rights. I thought I'd maybe start in Snohomish mm -hmm. so, or Lake Stevens where I live. And so I asked for those areas and they said, yes. Well, I went and did my market research like any good business owner would do, right? Yeah. And I visited all the stores in the area that were sold the same product and actually ones that don't sell the same product. And I'd been to every oil and vinegar store when I'm on <laughs> vacation. I mean, I just love yeah. the when Drizzle first went in, it was, just, it was about a space kind of like this room we're in. And I went, oil and vinegar tasting. What are you? And then I tried the stuff and I went, oh, oh, mm, this is kind of good. This is nice. Yeah. And it kind of grew from there. So I thought, okay, I got the rights to the area and I went and re researched. I went, I already knew Fairhaven, but I went there again. Anacortes has a similar store. Port Townsend has a similar store. And I never knew there was a store in Queen Anne. I had lived in the Puget Sound for a total of about 25 years, and I'd never been to Upper Queen Anne. Okay. I'd been to Lower Queen Anne, but I had nothing, no reason, I guess, to go to Upper Queen Anne. Mm -hmm. So I went to the store up there and talked to the guy, and he was so friendly and nice that I pretty rapidly told him I went from being incognito to, like, saying what I was doing. Yep. Well, come to find out, he's, like, best friends with the owners of our supplier. Okay. And our supplier is Veronica Foods, and their grandfather came from Italy about 105 years ago. And then they have a passion and a mission to expose people to olive oil and the qualities of it, and good quality olive oil yeah. and balsamic vinegar, which comes from Italy. And he was in their wedding. He was, like, their best friend. And he said, well, my business is for sale. And I'm like, oh, that's great, Gary, but I'm you're an hour away from me. I want a store in <laughs> Snohomish. And everything was going like clockwork for my space in Snohomish. And there was a space open on Front Street. I mean, it was just like primo wow. location. And they verbally told us it would be ours. And then it kept kind of dragging on, and I got suspicious something was up. And they accepted another tenant instead of us. So everything went like clockwork, and then it fell apart. And I'm like, okay, what now? Why? Because it seemed, and then that kept coming back. And even my friend kept saying, what about what about Queen Anne? What about Queen Anne? I'm like, no, it's too far. It's too far. But I went down there, and he, I said, Gary, I'm, I said, I'm just going to go down and visit him again. I said, Gary, what are you, just out of curiosity, what are you selling your business yep. for? And he told me, <laughs> and I saw myself reach out my hand and go, Gary, I'm buying your business. And then I went home and told my husband. <laughs> <laughs> also like most entrepreneurs <laughs> they shoot first and then they go like aim right but you know we'd already yeah. done our pro forma right. financial statements and he was very supportive and on board and so i knew and he knew it was you know a good deal yeah but i do have to say the startup costs were more than i expected so you know you don't pay yourself a long time often as a startup business mm -hmm. because you're you're 
paying everybody else and making it profitable. Right. So I still have that goal. And now we have, um, I'm in a couple of, I still have the rights to Lake Stevens and Snohomish. And I talked to the company about like putting product up here in Stanwood and Camino. Yeah. Because I just think um, it would, it'd be a good market. And I had a friend who lives up here was encouraging me to do that. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I should capture that Christmas season. Mm -hmm. And so I, one time, was just driving back from Anacortes and thought, hmm, I should swing by Stanwood, talk to the kitchen store. I should swing by, you know, the Camino Commons and got the information, left messages for both. And you guys were just like, yeah, we'd love to have you. We're putting in a wine area. This would be a great. Yeah. It just like some things just go chink, chink, chink and fall into place. Yeah. Right? Well, and yeah, and for us, um, so so my wife and I, whenever we go on vacation and stuff like that, yeah. like we love going to oil and vinegar. See, stores. you know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's so much fun because like you're you're usually like walking around a city and you're like, I'm kind of hungry, but I don't want like full food, and then you're like, right. perfect tasting. So like you go mm-hmm. in, you get to try all these different combinations. Yeah. Um, and so we always go through and taste a bunch of them, and so. Um, upon taking over the marketplace, that was something like, it'd be great to have oil and vinegar in here. Ah. But it was also something where like, we don't want to take that on. On, right. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. And we're like, so. And a big investment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're like, so we don't want to do that part. But man, if we could find someone. Um, and so. You were just waiting for me. Yeah, we were. <laughs> um, and so then the other thing is when Christy, um, so Christy is our buyer. When she came to me, is like, hey, we got this lady. She wants to do oil and vinegar here. Um, I was. I'm always skeptical. One, because we're in, we're on Camino, like we're yeah. kind of Podunkville, and so kind of, of, but kind of not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like a lot of times, like people that you know, we get vendors in all the time. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we want to bring this in, and you're like, okay, I see why. Like, you just think we're gonna accept anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like, oh, she dropped by samples, and I saw the packaging, and I was like, this is really nice. Like, I was expecting like bottles with a label on, or right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, but very nice. Like a home done thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And then she's like, yeah, so here, you take these home and try them out. And we took them home and we're like, this is great. Mm -hmm. Like, we are for sure. (laughs) You know, I've been thinking about that, Brandon, because I believe that this supplier has the best product I've ever tried. And like I said, every city I go to, I try them too. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about why. Well, first of all, there's nothing artificial in our products. Mm -hmm. And it's all of the olive oil is extra virgin olive oil base. So even the flavored oils are extra virgin olive oil base. The balsamics are from Medina, Italy. They have to be. If It's like champagne from France. Champagne has to be from France if mm-hmm. it's going to use that word. Balsamic has to be from Italy. Mm-hmm. But a lot of companies will cut it with red wine and then add sugar to make up the difference because it's an expensive product. Right. Okay. So I've been thinking about why does this company taste so much better? And I think I've maybe come to the uh, realization it's because of the freshness of the oil. Mm. So they work with small farmers around the world. And yeah. I think about 20, 25 different countries, okay? Wow. And they are often there when it's being crushed, okay? They're even filming it, and you get videos. So it's first harvest, cold-pressed, you could say, but that term is outdated because everything's mechanical now, mm-hmm. except for a few places. Um, so it's, But it still is that not chemically treated, not... Um, it's that first press cold harvest yep. concept that you yeah. have. And so then literally it's crushed and then they ship it in this huge bladder on a tanker over to here. And it goes to the company down in Oakland and they put it in smaller cubes that come to us and we're a bulk filling place. So then we fill it. So you're literally getting about as fast as you can in the world. Yeah. Unless you were to bring something back on a flight 
you know, that you picked up from some place that you did an agriturismo tour. Yeah. And I think that's what makes the difference because your olive oil is going to go bad in about 18 to 24 months because it's a fresh juice of an olive. Yeah. It's pressed. It's like taking an orange and crushing it, except the fat content in the olive keeps it a little more stabilized over Mm -hmm. time. So... But when you're buying something, people would say to me, well, how's yours different from Costco? And I'm, I'm not here to, you know, diss anybody because right. everybody's, you know, making their choices and doing their best. And I love Costco products and I was using them before I had this yeah. company. So not just them, but any other product. You don't know how long that olive sat before it was crushed. Yeah. Okay. Ours are all crushed within a couple hours mm. of picking. Makes a difference. Yeah. Okay? You don't know how long that olive might have been stored in a warehouse. Same thing. So you might say harvest date, crush date. Well, ours is all the same. Every one of our bottles at the store has a tag that tells you when it was crushed, what country it's from, what the olive oil sommeliers, and there are olive oil sommeliers like wine sommeliers, thought of it, and they give their tasting notes. They assess it for its fruitiness and pungency and bitterness, which are the properties of olive oil. And it goes to a company down in Australia for chemical assessment of the properties of olive oil. Things like peroxide, biophenols, free fatty acids, oleic acid, that's all tested. And all of those things come together to let you know you're getting what we call an ultra-premium extra virgin olive oil. The ultra-premium means that it is a better quality than even any of the olive oil councils require. So there's an International Olive Oil Council, there's a California Olive Oil Council, there's an Australian Olive Oil Council, and maybe one or two others that I'm overlooking. Our standards are even higher than theirs. So that free fatty acid number, for example, on ours is so low that you're not going to have a problem with a smoke point. You can broil it, you can cook it, you, you're like, I've done it on my grill outside, I do it my broiling in my oven, I've never had a problem with wow. it. Wow. That's because of the quality of it. So I'm thinking that that is also the reason why their products taste so much better than anything else. Yeah. Because I bought an oil um, recently at another store. I, like, I still go to stores yeah. when I travel. Yeah. And uh, I taste it, and I'm like, oh, this oil has started to turn. Because you develop a palate after mm-hmm. a while. And I'm like, that is maybe why our olive oil is so much better, because it's fresher, it lasts longer, and it is... All of it's organic, too, even if it's not certified organic. Yeah. And so you've got, you know, organic, ultra-premium, extra-virgin olive oil. How many How many? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> modifiers can we put in right, there? Right, right. But it makes a difference. So when they add the essential oil that gives it that flavor, you've got such a good base that yeah. it comes through in what you taste. Right. Same thing with the balsamics, the white balsamic and the dark balsamic. Now, there's another term. So we have fused and infused olive oils. And people are like, what's the difference? Well, it's easy to think. Fused are the olives and the blood oranges, for example, crushed together at the same time they're processed. Okay. So you get that flavor fused together, like melds together. Infused is the company in Oakland will add natural essential oils and flavor it. So still all natural, nothing artificial added, no preservatives, but it's been infused with a flavor. Okay. They're both good, but they will taste a little different. For example, we have a Manny orange mm. olive oil right now. The Manny orange is a Greek orange, and that olive oil is a Greek olive oil, which 
almost every country thinks their olive oil is the best, but I have customers come in, do you have a Greek olive oil? Because I've heard it's the best. Honestly, it's up to your palate and your taste profile yeah. what's the best. But the Manny Orange and that Greek olive are crushed together, and it makes a fabulous product. Okay. Because it just flavors it slightly different. Right. We've got a sage-fused oil. We've got a rosemary-fused oil. We have about six or seven. Um, if you like spicy food, our Bacludi green chili is fused. Okay. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. As you're going through all of these different things, it's so interesting because it's... Um, I mean, coffee, I mean, wine is obviously the thing that, like, most people know. Like, yes. there's this whole culture and everything. And the terroir and all of that. Same yeah. thing with olives. Right. Coffee, too, right? Yeah. So, coffee yeah. has, like, all of these different levels. And it's funny because you're going through mm-hmm. all the different names. And I was like, we have so many, like, seals and stuff on our coffee because we're like, this mm-hmm. is why it's different. It's the grade A, which means it can have less than, like, uh, one, hun- one out of uh, every hundred coffee beans in our thing or a thousand whatever it is like mm-hmm. can be a defective one ah. and like there's so many different grades where like you look at the coffee like there's like black shriveled beans and stuff like that in right. some of these coffees when you look at ours they're all green beans oh, okay like mm-hmm. um so the grade of it is so much superior so you've got the grades of the coffee you've got all certified you know got all the organic mm-hmm. um you know for us for my dad when he started the company um, I told you he retired at 30. When he built that business, it was definitely like, I'm just going to make as much money through this as I can. Like, yeah. And so when he started this business, he's like, I want to actually do good. Like, not that he didn't do good right, before. But focus on quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have there be a social aspect to this business. Ah. And so um, and at, at the time that he started the company, there wasn't such thing as social business or social enterprise. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. So he, well, he had heard the book. Um, he had been... The one of the organizations he started the roaster with or for um, was Agros International, and they are a big part of their thing is they're the nonprofit that helps uh, farmers in third world countries oh, nice. um, not just be able to um, you know get a fair price and everything, mm-hmm. but actually buy their own land. Right. So there's this whole process that they go through, and he was like, "Well, I want my because I can make money with a company." So he's like, I want my business to be a company that makes money, but I'm going to share some of that profit with agros so that they can nice. build out their mission because that's yeah. what they're good at. Yeah. They're not great at making money. Yeah. <laughs> they're a nonprofit. Yeah, I totally agree with that concept. And that's what we've been. My husband and I have wanted a business for years, ever since we were young. Yeah. And we wanted a business that could do multiple things. One, course provide us an income but also provide a good service or product to the community mm-hmm. but even more than that i've always wanted a business that can provide a positive workspace for the employees yeah because to me the employees are as important as the customers <clears throat> correct and we want to give them as high wages as we can and as soon as we can you know we'll be doing that because we only need in our my opinion so much to live on i'm not like more 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 right I want to really help everyone and raise yeah. everyone. So we try to keep our prices reasonable. And I think we have. When I go and do price comparisons at other stores, I see inferior products to ours that are being charging more. All the time. Yeah. Yep. So I'm like, okay, we're kind of right there in the middle. For some people, it's a little high, but that mm-hmm. depends on their income level. Fortunately, Queen Anne has a high income level. And we have very, very loyal customers. Yeah. And I love our customers. This is what I say now. That store is my happy place. I love every minute I'm there. Yep. You know, you, any job I've worked, even business I've owned, it's been like, oh, you like this, but you don't like this. You like that, you don't like that. I don't care. The problems with this business don't bother me. I don't mind them at all. I just, I love it. I yeah. love it. So I know 
I'm in the right space mm-hmm. doing, you know, what I want to do. Yeah. And we give 10% of our gross profit back to the community. I'm a Rotarian and a Rotarian at heart, and that's part of it. Also, my Christian values. So yeah. we would just, you know, it's part and parcel of it all. I mean, I love the whole, you know, um, oh, Paul Newman concept, you know, with his business and mm-hmm. giving back to charity and doing things. So that's a big part of it. That's kind of the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's very important. And, and what you were saying before, I think, um, you know, providing a helping out the team um obviously we have a lot of people that are you know high schoolers and passing through mm-hmm. and this is kind of a side job and or not side job but it's not like they're just going to college they're no but you're getting... important part of their training in life mm-hmm. if you're maybe their first job or second job right people say where did i get the knowledge for this well i've done a lot of things in my life so yeah, i've got the bookkeeping background but before that you know, I worked at McDonald's. I managed a McDonald's. There's a lot of similar, you know, crossover and skills. Yeah. And what a lot of those businesses like yours provides is you're giving them the skill set that they need to mm-hmm. be effective in the workplace. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of been, I mean, at times, you know, I've, I have talked to our managers and stuff like that and like, nope, they're kids. Remember, they're kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because um, they just, they do dumb things. And you're they do. like, of course. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> we all have. We yeah, did. You for know? <laughs> sure. Um, and but I think that, you know, that is a very important part. And like part of our mission or our mission statement, at the marketplace is to bring joy to the Camino Island communities yeah, through food, nice. service and drink. Um, but, you know, in doing that, also teaching the, the team that we have, like how to put on a happy face, even when you're not having the greatest day. Exactly. Doing a good job on everything, because if you're not cleaning the bathrooms well, no one wants to use them. And mm-hmm. that's not a great experience. Um, you know, making sure things look nice and going out and san- during this time, sanitizing, cleaning, doing all these different things. All of these are aspects of bringing joy to the Camino Island community. So mm-hmm. that it's, it's a joy for them to come and visit, not a drag. Exactly. It makes a difference, that attention to detail. I, I have known I've heard it hard and fast, but basically I think there's a concept that that 10% that differentiates you from your competitor or from somebody else is those are those small things, those attention to detail and small touches. You know, most people can get to like say the eighty or ninety percent. Mm-hmm. It's that top tier that makes you stand out mm-hmm. because there's most people won't do that or yeah. don't think that way. And right. that's what makes the difference. <clears throat> in yeah. anything in life, whether it's a student who's submitting a paper or whether it's, you know, how you're running your business, how you're cleaning that bathroom, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's how you live your life. If you can do that last 10%, that's what makes you stand out. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's been, um, you know, my dad was very good at thinking differently than what most people thought. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously he had a lot of failures and stuff like that, but um, was able to make a lot of things work because, as I mean, like an example is the coffee industry. Like majority of coffee, especially in the early 2000s or mm-hmm. late 90s when he started this, like subs- any sort of club or subscription was basically a scam because you usually couldn't get out oh, of it. Okay. Um, you would sign up and they'd be like six months, you, you know, you get first three months free, but then you have to pay for nine months or whatever. Oh, okay. He was like, no, you can cancel at any time. Mm-hmm. You get your first month free. Like he had these things that like, Really put nope. the customer's interest at heart. Right. No one else was doing. And if you look at coffee companies, most coffee companies focus on wholesale. Because mm-hmm. if you make one sale, you're like, oh, we're profitable. Like yeah. you suddenly, you get uh, this scale a lot faster. To ship, individually ship pounds of coffee to single customers is so much more work. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. And now, you know, everything has a club. But during that time, like he had to build all of that out. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot more manual labor to do that. Um 
But he was just like, no, again, going back to that freshness, most people have not had fresh, good coffee. It shows. And maybe that's why it shows in your coffee. Because mm-hmm. when my, I, I saw one of your Instagram ads, my goodness, Instagram is a great, you know, advertiser, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it, yep. it does make sales. I, I saw it around Father's Day and I sent it to my son and this might be a good gift for dad. And so they got one of your Father's Day packages and loved it. And, and we've had your coffee before, but you know, there's a, period of time we weren't getting up here very often yep. and it's and coffee i mean we're in coffee heaven yeah. right we can get so many kinds of coffee right. around but dean was like oh i really like this coffee yeah and it he says it doesn't have that bite right smooth so that must yep. be part of what it is too yeah so now every time i come up it's like okay i gotta get another pound of coffee <laughs> yeah yeah and that was that was something my dad always said like coffee is a bakery item um it's good for, you know, the first few weeks, you know, and then like up to a month. But then after that, you probably should toss and get a new bag. Yeah. Um, whereas people are like, so can I store this in my freezer for three months? Because that's what people do. They'd get the five pound bag from Costco, put it in their freezer and take out what they needed for that week or whatever. And that's like, no, that doesn't really work. It doesn't really way. work that way. Yeah. If so, you want a fresh, good product, you have to keep it fresh and use it. Right. So that was part of it. Like most, again, that grocery store concept, like. Most people don't know how long their coffee's been sitting in a warehouse yeah. before it hits the grocery store. Oh, there's so many similarities. That's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. yeah. So that was something like he was, you know, he's like, I need to roast it because I know when I roast it mm-hmm. and then ship it within 72 hours. And then that way the customer gets it within Fresh. a week of the when it was roasted. Wow. So. Yeah. There is a lot of similarity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And for us, we have um, on the olive oil side... When this company discovered, oh, there's a northern hemisphere and a southern hemisphere, mm-hmm. we get fresh oil every six months because of that rotation. So mm-hmm. the crush is happening now in the northern hemisphere. We'll start to get those. There's an early harvest Greek oil, I think, that's coming our way soon. Um, but basically, we'll have January's when I figure I'm fully rotated my, my olive oil, organic, um, the extra virgin olive oil table that yeah. has the single cultivars on it. And that will rotate. I figure, okay, that's fully restocked in January. But May, June, that's when the Southern Hemisphere is crushing. You know, places like Chile, Argentina, Australia does a boatload of coffee. Now they have massive groves down there. Um, You know, those uh, Spaniards and uh, Romans, they got around the world and they took their olives with them, which is really interesting. We have a great uh, olive oil out of California. It's a cuvee. I don't know. I don't know wine terms. I'm still learning some of the pronunciation. Me too. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if it's suve, cuve, but it's a Pequal olive and an Arbuquina olive mix, and it's really nice. And because people come in, do you have something from California? You know, we're all snobs in our own way right. about what we of want, course. and and people are like, I'll tell them, but, you know, how much olive oil do you think is produced in the U.S. or by California? Oh, and they'll give me a guess. It's like, well, it's actually, as of the last count, less than 1% of the olive oil production in the world. But they do a great job of marketing it. Americans yep. are great marketers. Yep. But the largest producer of olive oil is Spain. Okay. And they aren't as good at marketing, but, man, they make a damn good oil. <laughs> and Italy actually uses more than they produce. They don't want you to know that because they want to be considered the 
you know, premium, the premier producer yeah. of olive oil, but they actually import to meet their demand. Okay. So there's all these little facts and tips right. that I've learned over just the last year and a half that I've had this business. That's, but it's very fun. It's like, I think it's good for your brain too. Yeah. I feel like it's keeping me younger. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's, it's always good to keep learning and, and find out new things. Yeah, so. exactly. exactly. Very cool. All right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, some of these are focused around Camino, but you can go anywhere in the Northwest that, that you like to do. But the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? You know, because we're here at your business, I'm going to share something from your business. Because okay. <laughs> I've bought from your gift shop so much over the years, it's hard to get out of there less than $100 for me. Because <laughs> you have such nice, unique gifts. So my favorite purchase there lately was um, the shawl that's hanging on the wall. It's mm-hmm. a little gray one. And I get so many compliments when I wear it, too. But oh, it's nice. a nice throw, you know, when you just want an extra layer. Yeah. I throw that on. And then I was looking at the wall there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I bought that and that and that and that. <laughs> But sometimes the little clothes at the gift shops are very reasonable and they're fun because yeah. they're like one-off type, yeah. you know, clothing. So, yeah. 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 No. Um, Christy, our buyer, like I've mentioned before, she does such a great job at, at yeah. curating our gift shop. She does. And beautiful displays. That's the part I'm still learning about mine because we're carrying more and more gourmet gift uh, food items. Mm-hmm. And it's like how to display them. That's where I'm building my knowledge. Yeah. 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 Very cool. All right. Pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would the first day look like here? Well, that would depend on the friend and what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to like go into the city and see things, then that's you know what we would do. But if they wanted to experience the outdoor Northwest, uh, one of the places I love to take them is the Big Four Ice Caves. Okay, yeah. When it's the right time of year, not now. Um, and actually, I learned the summer that you couldn't really go there because the once again the pedestrian bri- the pedestrian bridge had been washed out. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, hike. We have family from the Midwest that love to come. They're like, I want my Pacific Northwest fix. And the San Juans, you know, are lovely. Yeah. A ferry ride. Yep. So, But it would really depend on the taste of the of the person who's visiting me because I love being a little bit of a tour guide and customizing it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, if who, it was the art studio tour up here on Stanwood Camino, that would be top billing. Yes. Yeah. I've, yeah I, I'm still, we haven't heard yet on the next, this coming year, but I'm assuming it's probably not happening again, which is really sad. That is sad. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Well, I think you've got so many artists. Any of them, you know, would be fascinating. I imagine maybe you've already interviewed John Ebner, who's one of your premier artists up so here. So I, I haven't been able to line up a time yet, but he's very soon he will be. Yeah, yeah, we love his art. I have a number of it in my home, and first met him years ago at the um, Bellevue Art um, uh, Festival that they do down there mm-hmm. in the parking lot. But I also have another person in mind. Uh, his name is Dennis Newman. Okay, he's a friend of mine. He's retired chef uh, who turned restaurant consultant, but he's very gregarious and outgoing. You would have fun talking with him. And he is has lots of hobbies like hunting and fishing. And then with his chef knowledge, that would be fun. But then I thought of another one for you. And that would be Dr. Lee Harmon, who lives here on the island. And he recently came back, recently, like within the past year, I mean, uh, from going on a race that goes around like the continent of Europe with his old like car. It's a unique car. Okay. My husband's the car aficionado, so I'm not doing this justice. 
but basically it's a multi-thousand mile race okay. that he shipped this car over and took it on, and he would be fascinating for you to talk to. He is a retired um, eye doctor. Okay. And he's over on the west side of Camino. Very cool. All right. And lastly, if you could have a message on Camino Island, right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? Oh, my. You know, I would say be kind. You can't go wrong right now in our world with be kind, right? Yeah. Be respectful. But actually, I've been impressed with the people on Camino. I think you've already got that down. So I would say maybe um, something. Consider joining Rotary or checking it out. Mm-hmm. You know, Rotary is one of the top service organizations. They do a lot of good in the world. And when I joined like 16 years ago, what I came to realize within the first couple of years is anything that you want to accomplish in the world, you could do with Rotary and Rotarians because they've got the funding for it, they've got the network for it, and you've got a very active club up here, which is mm-hmm. really nice to yeah. know about. They do good things in your community. Yeah. So yeah, I, they built out Freedom Park. Yeah, exactly. Which is right, right near here. And so. I think they do the Dolly Parton Imagination Library for children, and they do various other things. So they're, yeah. Very cool. That's what I'd say. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome, Brandon. It's been very fun. Yeah. I've got <laughs> to learn so much and so much about olive oil and, and vinegar and where it all comes from. And, exactly. Yeah. And sometime come down to my store because you're carrying a nice selection, but I've got 70 plus varieties in okay. my brick and mortar store and lots of other food items. So you got you and Brittany, Brittany would yes. have fun down there. Yes. Yeah. We will definitely come visit. Yeah. And it's one of the few places you can still have an experience and an outing. Right. Although we are on the 25% restriction yes. right now. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Brandon. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Debbie Franz for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to commandocommons.com slash EP76. That's commandocommons.com slash EP76. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.